0: Welcome, everyone, to the Australian Bitcoin podcast. You're listening to myself, Justin, and Jeremy from hardblock.com.au. Contact Hardblock if you're interested in finding out how to pay as low as 99 sats for your Bitcoin withdrawal fees. In today's episode, we'll be discussing recent global and local Bitcoin news. How's it going, Jeremy? Pretty good, Justin. How are you? Yeah, can't complain. So uh, how many hours of Bitcoin Miami did you end up watching? if I'm being honest about 35 hours over the the course of the weekend and a little bit yesterday. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, but that was on usually 1.25 and up to 1.5 times speed. So it's probably like 40 hours of content or something. Incredible. <laughs> so what were the highlights? Well, I, I want to say like generally, I think as these conferences get bigger, they do become more commercialized. So there was probably more shit coining and talk of um stable coins in there than what I expected from a Bitcoin conference. However, as I got further into like the mining stage and the open source stage, there, there wasn't really much of that at all. So that was um, that was good to like from a very general perspective, is that it didn't seem totally commercial, even though there was a couple of snippets in there that might make you think that. But I'm going to uh, to just list probably what I think people should look into and then uh, I guess we'll talk about some more specific announcements, but I reckon the ones that people should uh, see and th- the problem with the way that it's recorded and um, uploaded to YouTube is I can't link each individual one of these talks, so I'm just going to mention what they are and if you come across them in your travels and are wondering should I spend the 45 minutes to listen to this thing, if this is one of the ones that I mentioned, you know, maybe give it a bit of time. So there was one with uh, Michael Saylor and Kathy Wood, which was all about institutional adoption. There was another with Adam Curry, uh, who is kind of the, the father of podcasting, as well as Francis uh, Naganau, I probably pronounced that wrong, but he's the uh, UFC heavyweight champion, um, and Max Kaiser. So the three of them talked about the, uh, the fuck you money culture um, that's a part of Bitcoin. There was also a really good one titled uh, Bitcoin is Freedom Money with Alex Gladstein, uh, Yeonmi Park, who escaped North Korea to China and then eventually to America. Uh, There was a couple of people also involved in that talk from various other uh, places that have humanitarian crises ongoing, and it was all about the positive humanitarian impacts of Bitcoin. There was a really good one with Jordan Peterson, um, a fireside chat, that one was called, which was all about Bitcoin, free markets and entrepreneurship. There was a really good one with Breedlove, Guy Swan, and Parker Lewis about becoming a sovereign individual. There was one about wartime Bitcoin with uh, Francis. Uh, he runs Bull Bitcoin, I won't try to pronounce his name, as well as uh, Alex Svetsky and a few others. And that those last two, the uh, becoming a sovereign individual and wartime Bitcoin, were just really good at a conceptual level of, of what Bitcoin is, is meant to be in regards to those censorship resistant, permissionless. Um, open, decentralized properties, which was really cool. I'd say the mining stage, generally speaking, if you're into mining, you could probably watch the vast majority of those and and be, um, you know, they're they're very informative. And for someone who's not into mining so much, I guess the main takeaways was that big players are scaling exponentially in the mining space. Uh, It's not slowing down. Um, they're really trying to smash down whatever barriers are still left. And it looks like in future, there's going to be some pretty significant mergers between energy companies and the Bitcoin mining sector. Uh, the home mining... Uh, sorry, this is a... I'm just trying to make sense of my notes. Uh, this is a, a particular uh, episode or a particular um, segment on the mining stage. There was one called the uh, Home Mining with Matt O'Dell, diverter BTC and a kind of alchemist. So that was really cool. That was obviously quite different to like institutional mining and more about how do you mine Bitcoin at home and do it in a sort of safe and, and privacy conscious way. So that's really worth checking out. And that, uh, is that with S9s? So that sounds pretty cool actually. Yeah, so they had both, um, if you would do do it on a small scale like S9s, they had some tips in there. Uh, it's sort of like running it in a, an Esky or you know, like a, right, something yeah. like that. And, and then um, Econor Alchemist has quite a, a comprehensive setup that he's now got in a shipping container, which is all, uh, I don't know that all, but it's majority of S-19. So it's all the way from like, you're just getting started as a home miner. What kind of things should you consider? Um, scaling all the way up to like, okay, you're, you're really into Bitcoin mining and now you've got 20 or 30 miners. How do you not burn your house down? Yes. How do you not, yeah. how do you not get like a divorce because of the noise? There was also a really cool one, um, like a new product that basically runs at around 200 watts and it produces around one to two tera hash. And you can have it sitting um, by your bedside table and sleep at night with it running and you won't even hear it. Wow. Can't remember the name of the product, to be honest, but if, if you listen to that or watch that segment, um, they talk about it a fair bit. And I, I would imagine we'll be seeing more of that kind of stuff in the space, home miners that are least invasive in terms of the, the heat and the sound qualities. That's pretty I'll definitely check that one out. So I'll, uh, I'll just rattle off a few from the open source stage because that was probably about 20 hours of content if you want to watch all of it. But I think there were some decent ones that are worthwhile um, checking out. So um, I guess mostly just overall, it's good to see Lightning Development Kit and the Bitcoin Development Kit, which are like standardized ways of um, being able to implement certain features into either Lightning or Bitcoin wallets that's really you know powering ahead by the looks of it um there's a lot more privacy and smart contract capability coming to bitcoin and uh, so generally speaking that was my vibe from the, the open source stage over those three days but if you're looking for specific ones to watch there's one with jameson lopp uh luke dash jr and shinobi and brian bishop which was all about the threats to bitcoin and what can be done um essentially to try to resolve it to some degree. And a lot of the threats came back to things that we're probably all aware of, like shitcoins coins or cryptocurrency being a potential attack, um, over-regulating being a potential attack, and even a governance attack from within Bitcoin itself. Um, like, you know, certain people always trying to block upgrades um, and the belief that, you know, upgrading Bitcoin would be bad for Bitcoin. So a lot of nuance there, but uh, worthwhile checking out. It's quite interesting that this
1: is kind of a parallel to the the real, um, I suppose, innovation that's happening. We've got the front stage is all the kind of institutional and government trying to have a say, I suppose, in Bitcoin. Mm. And over in the backstage is where the real work is happening in the open source stage. And you know, just stuff like you know, um, trying to tell people how to make a Bitcoin wallet and how to interact
0: with it. it sounds a bit boring, but that's actually how things get done. And yeah, really true. And my partner, my fiance, said to me, "Oh, what?" What were the announcements? And um, I won't say the announcements now because we'll talk about them in just a bit. But the thing is, the announcements to me weren't as exciting as all of the open source stage and the mining things, which are, are not necessarily announcements, they're just stuff that's already been working on that most people don't care about. Um, and most people probably won't even care about it, even when they're using it, because yes. they will not realize that yep. they're using it. But those were the things to me that made me think, this is great because Bitcoin's taking off. In adoption sense now, but what about ten years time or twenty years time? What's to say that we're not doing ourselves in by not prioritizing, say, privacy yep. um, or not uh, decentralizing mining properly? And to see that there's actually a whole lot of work being done in that space is really reassuring, even if most people won't tune into that or won't won't really care about it. So yeah, it's, it's sort of the front of house stuff, which is all the this is the stuff you put in the headlines for mainstream media, and then there's all the back of the house stuff, yep. which is like for hardcore bitcoiners, but it's probably the most important stuff, really.
1: I think it's an advantage that it is hidden away, because by the time they've actually
0: built it, and it's all out there, it's too late for anyone to do anything about it. Very true. And that is probably a good segue. Like the the last three that I wanted to mention from the open source stage, one was uh, Lightning Lab's uh, chief technology officer. I won't try to pronounce his whole name, but they uh, he was just going by um, Ulaulu And he has uh, a BIP, so a Bitcoin implementation proposal around uh, Taro, which is essentially a taproot type implementation that allows assets to be issued on the Lightning Network. Uh, By assets, it could be stablecoins, could be shitcoins, could be NFTs, could be anything, basically. Um, Very, very similar to other Layer 3 solutions like RGB. If um, you've sort of seen any of our posts on Twitter before, we've mentioned that one. And even things like Synonym. Um, So it's good to see that there's another type of, Well, layer three solution that's going to bring a bit better privacy and a bit better interoperability Um, but the last two that are sort of more related to that point that you made about this development can kind of get to a certain point where it's uh past the tipping point i guess where it can't be stopped there was um one all about coin joins uh coin swaps and uh like uh, sidechain type swaps which was with evan kalutis ben the carmen uh, and craig Raw. That was really cool. Um, Good to see that there's something called LN Vortex or Lightning Network Vortex that Ben is working on to try to make it so when you open a channel to join the Lightning Network, it's kind of like you're doing a coin join. So you'd be joining with a bunch of other people, which makes it very difficult to know whose channel belongs to whom. Um, So it kind of brings some of that much needed privacy to to Lightning. But he had a a really funny comment where he's talked to his lawyers about what is legal when it comes to to privacy in Bitcoin. The legal advice was, don't call it coin joins anymore, and don't call it for privacy. What you're doing is you're doing collaborative transactions to reduce fees for your business and personal benefit. And all of a sudden, it becomes a very legal thing. It's not about coin joining and privacy. We're it's reducing just... fees, exactly right. There was another really, really cool um, pod, uh, sorry, segment on the Lightning Network. The fact that it is not private, there is a lot of attack vectors, but there's a lot being done to uh, to solve that. And that was with uh, Anthony. Kevin Kalutis, Nifty Nye, and Shinobi again. So that one was that one was really good. If you get a chance to watch it, please do. Um, if you use Lightning a lot, they go at it at a, a relatively basic level so everyone can understand, but then really dive into the weeds. We'll have further podcasts coming out uh, with people like Rusty Russell um, and Lloyd to talk a bit about things like Lightning privacy. But if you're keen to know more about it now, I'd say check out that segment. And that's, I mean... <laughs> Going on for a while there, but th- those are my highlights. I think those are the things that are worthwhile looking at, and that might save you a bit of time. But um, generally speaking, I've, I've enjoyed the the time i put into it. Sounds like you're probably a bit tired as well. Indeed, there's too much content. I think it's <laughs> uh, it's becoming a bit overwhelming. I think uh, no more podcasts. Uh, sorry, no more uh, no more conferences for a little while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess that's the uh, the highlights. Um, did you? Because I think I've probably like done a bit of a blanket there and, and done everything. Was there any that you? Um, kind of had seen that jumped out to you? Or should we maybe jump into the announcements that were at the <laughs> Well the conference? I think the, the one that sticks out to me is
1: an announcement, so maybe I'll jump to that one. And <clears throat> yeah, And I think probably a lot of people would have tuned into Jack Mallers because last year he had the El Salvador announcement, and that's what I did. Um, and his announcement was maybe not as big as a country, but it's still pretty big because basically what it enables is you're paying for Bitcoin, uh, paying Bitcoin for your coffee. Now, you can do that in El Salvador, but a lot of people brush it off because it's not really a country most people even know where it is. But what he's going to allow um, is for you to be able to... Um, so his, his company, Strike, is integrated with a company called Blackhawk, which does um, point of sale systems, which now is kind of boring until you realize who they actually support. Blackhawk enables payments from McDonald's, Starbucks, Aldi, Safeway, Whole Foods, like a lot of really big um, companies in America. And it'll happen sometime in 2022, where basically you can go to any of these places, ask to pay in Lightning, um, They'll show you a lightning code and you can pay with it. You can use Strike, the Strike wallet, or you can use any lightning uh, compatible wallet, which is incredible. So basically, you can go to Starbucks and order a coffee and pay in Bitcoin. And that's kind of like the thing that people had always tried to figure out, you know, 10 years ago. Mm. Like, how do we go and how does this thing work for coffee? What's going to work this year? I think that's a pretty amazing announcement. Um, There's also an integration with Shopify, which is one of the more common uh, e-commerce solutions for websites. So you'll be able to go again, use Lightning to pay for things through websites. Um, And there's another one, NCR, which to be honest, I forget what that one is, but it's another payment integration. So uh, pretty amazing. I think terrible if you're, say, PayPal or um, (laughs) even Afterpay. There's now so much competition for this payment um, integration and uh, you know, for the for the merchant, like it's going to be, they're going to be given these choices, and <clears throat> if they go straight to Lightning, you know, they can have zero merchant fees. So I think that's a that was a huge one for me.
0: And it, a lot of people have seen this as like a sneaky backdoor way of making Bitcoin legal tender in the U.S. Because rather than trying to pass legal tender laws, all they're doing is they're making Lightning payments available to merchants and yep. to users, which makes it just a very common cultural thing for people to do, to spend in Bitcoin, which naturally then makes people want to learn more about Bitcoin or maybe save a bit in Bitcoin as well. And, yeah, to to me, that's how you would push something like legal tender or Bitcoin in America is just through this backdoor, get everyone used to it, get everyone using it, get everyone liking it, and then the next part becomes a no-brainer. So, yeah, very, very cool announcement and um, pretty wide-ranging, especially, like you say, most people dismiss the El Salvador news, but this one is, uh, I think, much harder to dismiss.
1: Yeah, and you have to think that we're going to get that here. Maybe it's next year. But if, if in America that's what they're doing, surely we're going to get this tech in Australia, even if it's not strike, someone else would probably want to
0: come and do it. But That's right. A lot of those companies that operate over there are operating here too. So it's just, it would make sense if they're saving on merchant fees. If it's a, sometimes it's even a bit of an advertising thing where you can say, Hey, we've got this new way of paying or yep. Hey, we're, we're hooking into this Bitcoin culture thing. Come spend with us. It's, yep. exactly. I think companies want to do that as part of their marketing. And then it just becomes yeah, a simple decision of doing that here too. So other announcements, any other ones that, uh, that kind of jumped out at you? Yeah. So we didn't get the big country. Announcement that I think we were all hoping for. So there's a couple
1: of small regions that um, Samson Mao is involved in. So Prospera, which is um, an island off the north coast of Honduras. I'm um, probably pronounced these wrong. And Madeira, which is a, a region in Portugal. I, I guess to be honest, that's like to me less interesting than El Salvador last year because mm. it's not. Then i do haven't even heard of those countries or, or regions. Um, but it's it's good, but it's not um, nothing kind of major. Um, Mexico is apparently proposing a bill. But, yeah, we didn't really kind of get that next kind of step up of a country that's much
0: larger than El Salvador doing this. That's true. And Samson had really teased, you know, he's got three big mic drop moments, and uh, I don't think any of them were totally a mic drop moment. Maybe when you combine the three together, it's starting to get to one. But even Stacy from, like, the the Max, Kaiser and, and Stacy, I think her last name's Herbert or Abe, however you pronounce that, um, she asked the... Uh, Think you call it like the president of Prospero or the CEO, because it's actually a, a private company. She asked him, Oh, how many people will this impact? How many, how many people live there? And he yeah. said, Oh, you know, a couple of couple of hundred. And she <laughs> yeah. sort of laughed and said, Oh, that's a that's a very small amount. So for someone who is so keen on state adoption, for her to even see that as a Relatively small scale thing is kind of telling in some way. She wasn't hyping it like um, Samson was. She was a bit more, yeah. You almost almost wonder if they booked the
1: the spot at the conference, but then just didn't get the approval through in time or something like that. Like maybe there is something coming, but they just couldn't get it through in time. Yeah,
0: that's right. Um, I think the only other announcement from Samson was that his new company called Jan3, uh, I guess that's how it's pronounced, um, has signed a memorandum of agreement with El Salvador. Um, the, the government of, of El Salvador, that is, regarding building out their digital infrastructure, not really clear exactly what that means. Apart from maybe being to do with things like the uh, the Bitcoin bond, um, you know, integrating more Bitcoin type payments or other types of stable coins. So, look, overall, Bitcoin's moving forward. Um, it's getting adopted in more places but there wasn't the huge nation state adoption announcement that I think most of us thought we we're going to hear. I mean, I was pretty crazy. I thought we might even hear two. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, the one thing that was quite positive was listening to
1: Michael Saylor at the start of the conference talk about his interpretation of the American, um, I guess, movements in the last month or so is that even though they don't specifically talk about, and there's an executive order from Biden, yeah. he, he interprets that as like, they're kind of endorsing Bitcoin, mm. uh, even though it's not formally written that way. So I, th- I think you could probably read that pretty um,
0: positively as well. Absolutely. There was a few uh, segments with, there was one that was called like billion dollar fund manager outlook or perspective or something along those lines. And basically just talking to, uh, there's like the third richest man in Mexico. Um, there was a few other fund managers and Greg Foss. And they, they essentially were saying that the brakes are put on getting into Bitcoin at the moment for a large institutional investors, but they are dipping their toe in as much as they can. And as soon as the brakes come off, that's when we'll see this you know wall of, of fiat currency to, to try to integrate into Bitcoin. So all of that still sound, sounds very um, yeah, very favorable to me. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and then another one, um,
1: Blockstream are partnering with Tel- Tesla and Block to do some solar-powered mining. Not exactly sure how effective that would be. It seems like a little bit of a marketing stunt because um, if you're going to Use solar power into a battery, into a mine, that's kind of a lot of um, conversions. It's not very energy efficient. But it's interesting that they felt the need to make this type of announcement. It seems like more of a marketing ploy than an actual kind of long term play. When you've also got a lot
0: of people announcing we'll talk about later, like natural gas type mining. So that's yeah. right. I agree with that. It seems more like a hey, look, you can do a in quotations completely sustainable mining setup using all of Tesla's products. Um, and that I'm sure for some institutional investors or some people sitting on the outskirts thinking Bitcoin's bad for the environment, maybe that gets them just over the line. So yeah, it takes consider a it somewhere, yeah. That's it. Okay. But otherwise, I don't think that's that's not huge news. I think the the size of it was something like $12 million is their mind. So when you've yeah. got most other Bitcoin miners are worth a billion dollars or more, um, yeah. it's a pretty small amount that they're doing, especially for pretty large companies in the space too. Yeah, it's nothing for them. Well, that's probably it for the, uh, the Bitcoin conference. Um, I do think there's more videos that have been posted up in the last, you know, just twelve hours or so from some of those stages. So there could be some more just general stuff that's worthwhile watching. But it doesn't sound like there's any other big announcements that um, you know you're worthwhile knowing about. So I guess we'll move on to uh, Australian news. Don't want to repeat too much of this because some of the stuff we've talked a little bit about before, or at least this um, this main one, which is OTR or On the Run, which um, has over a hundred different outlets in Australia are accepting Bitcoin payments um, starting in July. It's not just Bitcoin payments, though. It's other cryptocurrencies, too. So you could even pay with Dogecoin and probably Ripple and basically whatever is available through crypto.com because they're using crypto.com as an intermediary to process the payments for them. We talked a bit about that in a previous episode that we did on what was the episode even on? I can't remember. It was last week. Yeah. <laughs> it was, like it was when I walked past the newspaper and I saw Bitcoin on the front of it. I think it might have been private emails. <laughs> yeah. So, look, if you want to hear us talk for about five or ten minutes about it, maybe that check that uh, episode. Yeah. But I guess it's just good to see. You know, generally, there's more adoption of Bitcoin uh, conceptually, more adoption of it being you know integrated into uh, you know payment in point-of-sale systems. However, this is not as good as it sounds. It's not like they're running their own node, taking Lightning transactions. They're really just using an exchange um, as an intermediary, which is lots of third-party risk, but maybe it's a nice, um, comfortable step yeah, they can take I to mean, begin it's, with. Uh,
1: I, don't, I think you actually have to use their app. I don't think you can just turn up and, and get a Lightning code. But it is interesting to just observe this competition that's happening for payments now. Mm. It's going to be cutthroat, I think. Uh, and clearly, Lightning is going to win because it's got the lost cost base. But yeah, just the fact that it's even you know possible, I I can't really work out why you would want to use buy some Doge and then buy petrol with it. But anyway, doesn't um, make much sense to me (laughs) either. Yeah, yeah, even the first step of buying the Doge, I don't know why you would (laughs) bother doing (laughs) that. Um, Now another one, uh, it's quite interesting. There was a a request for Australia to audit our gold. So we've got eighty tons of gold, which sounds like a lot because a ton of gold is a lot of money, but. Venezuela has 160 tons of gold. Wow. So you wouldn't have thought that they would have twice as much gold as us. Yeah. Um, maybe they don't have it, but that's what it's according <laughs> to the World Gold <laughs> Council. But like I, I associate Venezuela with like hyperinflation, not twice as much gold as Australia. Mm. Um, I looked up a couple of other countries. Philippines has 159 tons. Thailand has 244 tons. And France has 2,436 tons. So it's kind of, I'm kind of happy that we are auditing our gold because it's in the Bank of England and, you know, basically, I don't really trust any other country to look after our gold. But then no. if even if they had taken it, it's really not worth that much either way. Like five and a half billion dollars worth of gold. Um, so our total foreign currency reserves, we looked to about seventy, seventy-seven billion, mm. I like think it was. And this is five and a
0: half billion dollars worth of gold. So it's good that we have it, but it's really not a whole lot in the yeah. grand scheme of things. And when you think about we're only going to be testing ten percent. Of that roughly six billion dollars worth of gold, as I say, we, but you know, the the Reserve Bank of Australia senior official that's going over there is only testing ten percent of the gold that they it's have. A, in it's not as bad as you think.
1: So what they do is they have a list of the bars and the serial numbers. Mm. So these are very large. I think they're four hundred ounce bars. So, yeah, um, very large bars that are worth like a million dollars each. So they'll go and say, okay, we want to see this bar number, and they say, bring me that bar. Yeah. So it's actually a random audit. So, if they can't do that,
0: but then you don't know, like, are they pulling it out of someone else's pile? And, you That's know, right. Yeah. And and to me, I guess, because this is a, a all expenses, taxpayer-funded trip to do it. Yep. And so, essentially, they're testing 10% of our $6 billion and we have really out of $77 billion of assets. Yep. So, they're testing less than 1% of the Reserve Bank's assets, yes. and the rest of it's based on a promise to say the other... The other 90 percent of the gold that you have here, um, we're more or less going to assume that it's probably all in order and it will remain in order until the time that we come into an audit again in future, which could be a decade or more, or yes. however long. So it's a, it's a very small amount. We're essentially going to verify less than one percent of the Reserve Bank of Australia's assets are you suggesting like some sort of node on a raspberry pi I might be a better solution to this <laughs> I well yeah, it's it's amazing isn't it <laughs> when you can pretty much verify the entirety of the bitcoin supply uh the, the you know holding your own keys and making sure you do actually hold the keys to that that will take you less than a couple of dollars of energy to be able to do and time once you've got it set up so just yeah it would be great if we had something like a decentralized fully auditable asset to do uh, in the place of something like gold but You know, I guess we'll have to wait. Yeah, we might have to wait a bit before Australia owns Bitcoin. Um, Another interesting story
1: that I was quite interested from a local perspective, um, a company called Bengal Energy, which is a Canadian company, uh, are actually using stranded uh, natural gas reserves uh, and they're experimenting with taking Bitcoin miners. I think what they do is they put Bitcoin miners in a shipping container um, and they Generate electricity by burning gas to power the miners, and they can take them to wherever they want to go. That's right. And people may not realise, but a natural gas has to be piped. You can't just truck it somewhere. So you have to connect the pipe to the well. So if you've got a well that's got some natural gas in it, but there's no pipe connection, you can actually rather than you can't sell it to someone, but you can take a Bitcoin miner to it, uh, generate electricity, and then mine Bitcoin with it. Mm. So they're trying a very small scale, like it's like two hundred dollars a day of revenue this current scale, but they hoping to build it up to something like $20,000 a day. Um, so again, a very interesting um, development. Unfortunately, it's a Canadian company, but it's actually happening in Australia. Uh, and it, yeah, you can
0: kind of see this is um, the larger companies are cutting onto this as a, as a great idea. Definitely, it's a beautiful synergy, isn't it? Because for those companies, that build up of um, gas that needs to be flared becomes dangerous if they don't flare it. Yep. Of course, if they do flare it, that would be you know, theoretically bad for the environment and also bad for their um like their ESG score essentially. Yeah. So for energy companies or or miners, as in like energy miners, that is, oil miners, natural gas, etc., it's it's really useful for them to sell this, but also to reduce their carbon footprint. And for Bitcoin miners It's great because you get much cheaper energy, sometimes even free in the case of these pilot programs, uh, and you can go wherever the energy is. So my understanding is that we have, this is an untapped resource really in Australia, and this kind of mining is really taking off um, over in America, especially places like Texas. So it'd be great to see some Australian companies um, jumping onto this as well. It, to me, it sort of um, reeks of some sort of market inefficiencies where you have an Australian company or two, like Mawson International <laughs> yep. um, and Iris Energy. They're mining overseas. And then we have a Canadian company mining in Australia. That's, there's something weird going on there. There's yeah. some like regulatory issues or insurance issues that are just making it easier for us to mine somewhere else and other people elsewhere to, to mine here instead. But hopefully that will get sorted out in time.
1: Yeah. But as you see these companies kind of start to figure it out and the larger companies get involved, Um, There's some quite cool outcomes. So one thing that was mentioned in that article is that in Norway, the miners are partnering with timber companies to use the heat to dry out the timber. Mm. That's super cool because, you know, basically Bitcoin is integrating into the entire economy, like the heat, the the energy, like it's just, it's very cool to see stuff like that. So um, as it provides more benefit across the entire uh, economy, it's going to be more incentive for governments to regulate it kindly and Um, Yeah, for it to become
0: just normal part of life. Definitely in the conference um, on one of the Bitcoin mining stages There was a bit of historical context put out where energy companies so um, oil miners, etc Kind of used to be as powerful as the banks and over time They've become far less powerful as the banks because the banks get to control the money and control a lot of policy however energy companies could have a resurgence as they are able to then tap more of their lost resources when you think about 70% of the world's energy is lost through transmission or storage if we could utilize that 70% those companies that are utilizing it become far richer far more influential than they are now and then perhaps they become the banks of the future even just in terms of their uh, their political lobbying power being returned and if they can see Bitcoin mining as the synergy that's required I think government will start singing that tune you know, soon enough as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting perspective. Yeah.
0: So the other bit of Australian news, which is probably a bit of global news as well, is uh, so das B, um goes by B one uh, I'll tag him in our uh, release of this. He's worked with um, a few others. So Seb Bunny from Bitcoin Magazine, um, as well as a few others whose names slip my mind at the moment, including Greg Foss. Uh, and they've developed a financial education platform called Looking Glass financial education platform and I'll link that as well it's lookingglasseducation.com now the first course that they've released is a three-hour seminar which is all audio Uh, you you can read it as well but it's good just to be able to play it in the background for convenience and it just introduces the problem of things like fractional reserve banking monetary expansion um, you know our ever-increasing debt bubble And the inflation that results from those things and it does it in a way that doesn't jump immediately into spruiking bitcoin bitcoin's mentioned a few times earlier on and then has a a bit more of a segment towards the end when comparing it with things like equities or property or bonds as potential investment strategies and so it's um it's a really great way for people who are not into bitcoin at all but might be seeing that there's a bit of an issue with like their wage or the economy um a good good way to kind of introduce them to orange pill them the intention of that platform as well is to just produce more seminars over time that delve further into things like bonds, property, um, assets, uh, like equities, that is, um, and of course, Bitcoin. The important part is that it's meant to be uh, funneling people towards Bitcoin, but doing it in a, maybe a nicer way um, than what we usually do when we try to orange peel people, and we start with Bitcoin rather than the problem. Yeah, that's definitely worth checking out if you're you know new to it or want just a bit of a grounding. Definitely. So global news. Now, there's um, some regulation, and this seems to be going back and forth over and over again in the European Union. So the the European Union, which I'll just call the EU, if I have to say it again. So the EU parliament has passed basically like a privacy busting, um, I'll say crypto because it incorporates all of the different cryptocurrencies, not just Bitcoin, but a, a crypto rule. Basically saying that people shouldn't be able to withdraw from exchanges to what's called an unhosted wallet. By unhosted, that, that's a term that they've generated. It um, basically means like a wallet that's not hosted on a centralised service like an exchange or a bank or, or the government themselves or an insurance company. And this, uh, the reason I say it's been going back and forth is because this was raised initially and it was uh, more or less debated and then shot down. But then it got kind of squeezed into a bit of legislation that got passed just recently, unexpectedly. And so now it needs to go back to being debated before comes into action. Um, I think it's still like quite likely a, a couple of years away from being put into action, even if this legislation doesn't get changed, um, but still kind of concerning to see that that happening, um, essentially trying to uh, to say you can have Bitcoin, but you just can't hold it yourself.
1: Yeah, I think <clears throat>
0: what we're going to see is the the countries
1: and regions most threatened by Bitcoin are going to try these silly tactics because um, all they're going to do is push it into a black market. Um, If that's what they want to try and do. exactly. Um, So they they kind of do understand the risks here. But I think uh, Europe's not in the best kind of position in terms of, um, like, for example, their energy and their currency. And so this is probably a pretty big threat to like even the European Union Mm. potentially. So you can sort of see it's it's quite out of character because, you know, it comes to privacy. They actually have some really good privacy laws for them to take the opposite position on Bitcoin privacy is odd, right? So I think that says more about how threatened they might be feel about what Bitcoin could do to their financial system and trying to just scare people off it. But realistically, you know, you could just, all, all this can happen in a black market peer to
0: peer. And it's, they're better off engaging with it rather than trying to make it go into the black market. Yeah, that's right. All they do is ban themselves and their citizens from Bitcoin, but then the citizens, if they really want, they can still route around it in black yeah, market. Yeah, and,
1: and you're right, like they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot because let's say in five years, they decide that they should, they're, the companies in Europe and the European Central Bank wants to ho- hold Bitcoin in the cent- on there as an asset, mm. they kind of can't because they've just said, no, this is this
0: really dangerous thing that's, you know, yeah. Although maybe they're just saying, no, it, it needs to be all centralised and, and controlled. So Yeah, that, it seems like that's the way they're going. They're saying, oh, we're going to be friendly to it, yeah. but in a way that really goes against what Bitcoin is, is meant to be doing. Yeah, I wonder if, like you say, because they're in such a dire economic circumstance, this is their way of trying to close off the exit routes. Because it, I, fact check me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Christine Lagarde that had that quote about saying, um, Bitcoin is a—it's uh, like an, it's a what she call it? like an exit hatch yep. or something like that—and basically saying we need to close the exit hatches because otherwise people will use them. And she's the head of the European Central Bank, which I'm sure is probably very integral into some of this legislation that's being passed in the EU Parliament. So I mean, I tie all those things together and think maybe there's a bit of concern that people are going to use Bitcoin to escape. Therefore, close the hatches, keep yeah. it all centralized. They can rehypothecate, go to some sort of fractional reserve banking and, and save their economy. And, try and do it all over again. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it yep. back on itself. So another bit of news out of uh, the EU is um, just this quote that was said or sent to EU banks. Beware of wartime fake news triggering a bank run. It wasn't really clear what fake news that they were referring to. Um, however, I believe it's referring to things like people becoming more aware of fractional reserve banking, the fact that if less than... Even 5% of people's wealth gets withdrawn from the bank. The bank runs out of liquidity to then service all the other deposits that they're uh, responsible for. And so if this starts to circulate on social media, that psychological factor in and of itself could lead to a bank run. So regulators are telling banks, just be prepared. There could be some fake news that, that causes a bank run. Don't really know what they're going to do about it if it happens, whether it's a bail-in or trying to like, stop servicing for a while. But either way, they have this on their mind. Yeah, I guess the question
1: is, why did they feel the need to make that public? Mm. <laughs> like it's almost like you're saying, this is a problem, you know, and now they're drawing attention to it. There's it's no like, better way to start a bank run than yeah, saying, well, the,
0: watch out for a bank run. Yeah, bank
1: run would be bad, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah, I think that's, there must be some
0: other hidden message that we might be missing. So another one, which uh, is a very frustrating bit of news, just when you think the energy FUD is really starting to die in the Bitcoin space. It uh, it gets revived again almost every six to 12 months. It kind of comes back with some new sort of uh, perspective. So Greenpeace has been pushing this campaign called Change the Code. And they've done this because they received $5 million of funding from Chris Larson, um, or as he's sometimes called, Chris Ripple, because he's the uh, co-founder of Ripple. So Ripple has given funding to Greenpeace to launch this Change the Code campaign, which essentially says there's only about 50 people who need to make the decision in Bitcoin to change the code from proof of work to proof of stake. And because proof of work is so bad for the environment, which it's not really, but that's what they're saying. Bitcoin should move to proof of stake like all the other good environmentally friendly cryptocurrencies. So, I mean, there's a lot of rubbish in there, obviously. It's not as simple as just 50 key players deciding to um, change the code because it's a consensus mechanism. Bitcoin is not governed by governance. It's governed by consensus, which means that everyone would need to run the code. Um, One person could change the code if they wanted to, but that would be called a hard fork if it's going from proof of work to proof of stake. And of course, the whole premise of this campaign, which is that Bitcoin uses too much energy and it does it in a wasteful fashion and it's not doing anything useful for the world. And they also had, again, the old kind of tropes of saying Bitcoin uses this much energy to uh, what's the word verify this many transactions they've kind of completely disregarded things like um, taproot uh, lightning network side chains etc which it's actually far greater transactions can be verified for the energy that they're talking about so lots of different kind of points of, of issue in there yeah that's why it's so interesting seeing the oil and gas companies enter
1: um, and then like whole countries like El salvador because you know to them five million dollars is nothing mm. so if they want to have you know, $20 million to lobby the government, this campaign will be nothing. So I think the incentives are going to start playing out where, um, actually people who have surplus energy, you know, some of those hydropower mines across the world. Um, I think there's just one in
0: Canada that could power the whole Bitcoin network if it wanted to, but multiple times over is my understanding of that stat where it's something like it could do with 17 Bitcoin networks. If it wanted to just of this one wasted
1: ludicrous stuff, you know, this sort of stuff might create a noise in the short term, but I think, as you start to see, you know, ExxonMobil and huge companies like that realize, oh, we can actually monetize our stranded natural gas. Um, the Greenpeace are going to be realizing they're going to be $5 million. There's not going to be much to um to go and lobby government. So that's why I'm really happy when I see announcements like um, ExxonMobil starting to to mine to mine Bitcoin because you know it just the incentives are just
0: playing out beautifully. That's right. Do we did we talk about this in this episode or is that last I e- think we, think talked we have about last it in the previous episode. one? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. It sounds very familiar and I, I know that's happening. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just a matter of time until the lobbying power starts to shift the other way. Incentives are it's the beautiful part about Bitcoin, isn't it? Incentives are going to keep pushing it forward regardless. But it's, I mean, this is very telling for for Greenpeace from an ethical perspective that they would accept funding, not do any of their own research, and then just push out a campaign that someone's paid them to do. But I mean, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I just give the benefit of the doubt a bit too much for these organizations. I don't know. I think, unfortunately, that's kind of their modus operandi. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So another two bits of uh, global news here is that Trezor has had a... Um, data leak through MailChimp, which is their uh, the way of contacting customers through things like newsletters. And so no information about people's um, wallet balances or anything like that or private keys have been leaked because that's not how it would work. It's just things like uh, email address, names, I don't think it's even things like personal home addresses. It's just email address and names. But unfortunately, what's happened is that um, the attacker who got this information has been sending out phishing attempts to Trezor customers saying by email things like, ah, look, Trezor's been breached. Um, You need to download this new software. And once you download this new software, load your Bitcoin wallet into it, and then you'll be secure. And of course, that is not really the the valid software. But they sound very... Uh, convincing. There's been a couple of big name people in both privacy and security that have mentioned that they've either almost fallen for it or have fallen for it, but then managed to kind of fix it up before it was too late. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of pretty good rules here. First is never ever put your seed phrase into your
1: computer. Yep. Like you should only ever have to put it into your hardware device. Mm. And even then because you're choosing to, not because you're getting an email. Um, so it's a pretty good rule because even sounds like obvious to say that, but we heard of a person who fell for the um the ledger one the ledger mm. phishing attack and um the only way you would fall for is by putting your seed phrase into your computer with your keyboard so never ever do that that's right and then we had the episode recently about email privacy so you could for example use a, an on or a different service to have an alias and you might choose to after you've finished working with that um you've bought the product, you just turn off the, that alias. So that way
0: you're kind of protected from this situation as well. Exactly right. You'd never even get the email. And better yet, no one would even know that email is associated with you and that you bought a treasure. Other bit of news here is, uh, I guess, just kind of a fun one. This probably doesn't change a whole lot. But the Tennessee Titans, which is a, an NFL team in America, which are they like their gridiron or American football, um, they're the first team. To adopt a bitcoin standard so doing something very similar to perth heat over here uh, which is a baseball team as a part of the australian um, baseball league and they're going to be holding bitcoin on their balance sheet accepting bitcoin for merchandise for ticket sales um, and then offering all their staff and players bitcoin for salary Um, so that's both perth heat which most people should know about but also tennessee titans over in america and now doing this too so very cool yeah awesome
1: So in terms of some
0: technology stuff, there's a Bitcoin bounty website now called BitcoinBounties.org. So this is just an amalgamation of all the various Bitcoin bounties that are out there. And what a Bitcoin bounty is just very quickly is um, someone saying, look, I need something developed for either my wallet um, or my service that I'm uh, working on. And I I need a developer to do that. And if a developer can do that, then there's this much Bitcoin up for grabs. So an example of that that's quite um, prominent at the moment is Blue Wallet. Has put out a bounty. Um, can't remember exactly how much it is, uh, but it's something like maybe five or ten million Sats, which is not huge, but you know, sweetens the deal a bit to uh, have someone develop bip forty seven paynims for Blue Wallet. Hmm. And so there's there's quite a few other bounties there. So if you're a developer or you know a developer who wants to get into Bitcoin development, that's probably a good place to look. There was a an article that was released as well, which is just worthwhile mentioning and, and checking out from Econo Alchemist. And it's all about how Samurai Wallet Whirlpool, their mixing implementation, which is also accessible through Sparrow Wallet too, um, could have fixed the issues that came about from the Canadian trucker protest um, in in the sense that most of the Bitcoin that was sent to the Canadian trucker protesters was traced. And um, something like 30% of it has been seized and the other 70% is still being tracked and and waiting to either be seized, which is not the best. I, I understand they did that through kind of ethical and moral decisions about it, which is no point kind of getting into the detail of. However, it has raised some people to say like, ah, Bitcoin's not private enough. Oh, Bitcoin couldn't have done anything to circumvent this. However, there are many things that could have been done. Samurai Whirlpool is just one of them. And Econite Alchemist has gone really good, really well, sorry, into the detail about w- what exactly does it mean if someone had used Samurai Whirlpool? What would someone looking at that on chain trying to trace it? what's the arduous process that need to go through to still not even be able to trace it so worth a look if you're into bitcoin privacy and uh, especially if that was concerning to you to see a lot of those protester funds frozen or traced yeah <clears throat> it was certainly a disappointing
1: outcome what happened but i guess if we all learn from it then that's you know part of the journey
0: that's right exactly so mempool space so mempool.space which is a really great place to uh, keep an eye on things like the block height um future blocks how crowded the mempool is, uh, what the likely fee is going to be based on how crowded or not the mempool is. They've now um, updated their service to provide uh, some mining stats. So it's just mempool.space forward slash mining. And that has things like, um, what's the next difficulty adjustment likely to be? When is that going to happen? Uh, what's the timing of blocks at the moment? Is it running you know high or low? Um, who is discovering each block? as well as, um, generally speaking, how many miners are there. So just cool stats if you're into Bitcoin mining, um, or even if you're not and want to kind of learn a bit more about it, forward slash mining on top of the usual mempool.space and get a bit more info. Another point here is that Intel has launched their new second generation Bitcoin mining chip called the Block Scale. So this is different to the Bonanza chip, which they released earlier this year. The Block Scale has not been released yet, but it's going to ship apparently in uh, quarter three Uh, later this year in 2022 so they're just producing the asic chip itself rather than the full asic miner system so it's then up to whoever buys these chips from them which is usually some very large bitcoin mining institutions to then either produce their own asics um, or go to one of the current asic producers to have it all pulled together and so it's anticipated that this new chip that intel has come out with will be able to produce something like 148 terahashes per second at around 3,860 watts, which is more efficient than the majority of miners that are out there at the moment, but a bit less efficient than Bitmain's S19 XP, which does around 140 terahash for 3,010 watts. However, these are all theoretical numbers at the moment because none of them have been delivered, and there has been a bit of a history with these things being sometimes over-promised, delayed, and then not actually doing exactly what they said they would. So wait and see interesting but interesting news nonetheless but it's it's certainly competitive because the previous chip wasn't competitive right but yeah. this one is competitive like
1: theoretically it's better than the s19 which that's is right. the best you can actually buy right now true so you know it's pretty cool that that's coming out in america hopefully they assemble it in america and so you've got some kind of geographical security there and again it's another thing just sort of helping bitcoin become um, more prevalent and you know just get rid of these silly greenpeace campaigns and so on exactly you know? like, right so and and they might they didn't talk about the price so for some users, like if they can get free power through their natural gas, they might be quite happy with it being 10% less efficient than the best if they can get access to it sooner or it's slightly cheaper or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think like, you know, post-COVID, having it in
0: your own country is a really big advantage. Definitely. And I think that's probably part of the uh, the push here is trying to decentralise the uh, the chip manufacturing. I know TSMC... Um, which is one of the current two chip manufacturers. I guess you could say three now because Intel's doing it too. But TSMC is setting up a foundry in Texas, cool. which immediately decentralizes some of that production. But Intel is also setting up in America, um, I think, multiple locations, which is great. Yeah, fantastic. So last bit of tech news here is uh, Taro which I mentioned at the top of the show when discussing some of the announcements um, from the, the conference. So TARO is actually just an acronym for Taproot Asset Representation Overlay. It essentially, just to repeat a little bit of what I said earlier, enables the issuance of assets on Bitcoin, um, both on-chain and lightning transfers of those assets. And those assets could be anything from stable coins, um, shit coins, uh, NFTs, that kind of thing. This is, I've heard a bit of drama about this where, Apparently, this is very, very similar to RGB, which has been around for about three or four years, perhaps, and does a very, very similar thing, but doesn't utilize Taproot for it. So this is just taking the same concept, I believe even the same mechanisms by which it worked, but then integrating it more into what Taproot is capable of. So I don't know. Uh, if you're keen to know some of those uh, inner workings or machinations that might be worth looking up but still i think having a competitor to rgb and they're both open source so this is the way that this industry works um they've innovated on it somewhat uh, still going to be great for users i think especially if you want to buy some shit coins on bitcoin
1: yeah but i mean you could kind of see in the future maybe you could issue a footy ticket on this you know yeah. that like as an asset and then you go to the 40 and you basically you kind of display it through lightning or something that's right you know like there's this tech is, is is really powerful, I think, um, and it's sort of hard to. I'm still haven't got my head around like how Lightning works, so to think there's another layer coming on top of Lightning, and who knows like how else is this is going to evolve. Mm. Um, I think it just it's crazy how what what opportunities there are, and and you know no one's really talking about this. They're talking about the other cryptos,
0: exactly. But I think all
1: I think eventually it's all going to sit on this stuff. Um, you know, probably someone will build on on Taro and.
0: Call it something else, but this will be the tech that delivers it. True. I guess a benefit that I can see is that if you want to hold a stablecoin, so if you want to hold some USDT or something along those lines, at the moment you need to trust other blockchains. You need to trust Tron or you need to trust Binance, you need to trust Ethereum, and then, of course, the fees and everything that goes along with that. Whereas if you were to have USDT on this Taro um, implementation, your USDT is kind of underpinned by SATs. Which means it's the stability, the security of the Bitcoin network, which is just a very cool thing. So you're still holding USDT, but you, you know the blockchain that it's sitting on, the underpinning infrastructure, is more secure. And you're of course giving your patronage, I guess, to the uh, the one that you want to to win out. Hmm. Well, look, that's that's probably it for news. That's like a, a whole lot of news, and I feel like in the next couple of weeks we'll have a whole lot more too. So, you know, if you've uh, if you've enjoyed this, uh, if you think it's going to be useful for anyone, please share it around. Um, before we close out. Jeremy, any final comments? Oh, I just hope you get time to have a rest, Justin. I know, it'll be, it'll <laughs> sounds be like good. Get a
1: massive weekend.
0: I do feel like Bitcoin is just like ramping up in terms of the news. Um, some of it, you can cluster it together, but it's still exciting just to see so much happening in such a short amount of time. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Again, reach out to us if you have any comments or suggestions. The uh, Twitter handle is HardlockBTC. Thanks for listening and until next time.